The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast, the first episode of 2023. We made it. We're here. Let's all say a, um, say a prayer for a good year, some good vibes. <laughs> Olivia has already had a rough start. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I got positive for COVID on New Year's Eve. I knew a day or two before I was probably positive, but I didn't have a test. So got tested and positive on New Year's Eve. So that was a great way to kick off the year. That's why I sound yeah. a little bit congested and blocked up now. So I think I'm at the end um, of it. Like I feel a hundred times better today. So fingers crossed. But yeah, it's just if that's why I might sound a little bit blocked up. <laughs> and just as a side note, Olivia sounds a little sick now and then she miraculously won't sound sick because we recorded <laughs> the story part of this um, before she was sick. Yeah, we, we organized and recorded it before Christmas. So that was probably quite lucky. Otherwise, it would have been a bit nasally for you guys to listen to. <laughs> yeah, so she'll miraculously start sounding better soon. Yeah, yeah. So my almost three-year COVID drought was broken. I thought I really thought I might be immune. <laughs> Yeah. Not. <laughs> I wonder I guess it counts as 20 you got it in 2022 because that was the f- yeah, first yeah, I got it for the first time in 2022 as well it's weird yeah we were just talking about it off air and it's like every, I was on a vacation with my whole kind of extended family basically everyone got it it seems like this is a really contagious um, strain but it also seems you know in our experience not too 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 bad like my main symptom was that I lost my voice basically straight away um, and I had fevers, but that was about it. Like there's no, you know, the kids got it. They were fine within a day or two. It seems like it, we were very lucky with what our experience was. Yeah, I was miserable for like three days when I had it, Ooh. but then I started feeling better. Yeah, I, I'm always hesitant to, to say I feel better because I know people are like I felt better and then I went downhill, but hopefully this is it. Yeah, so people speak so rude right now fresh bet was just <laughs> sleeping so cute and peacefully in his bed and she just got up from sitting with me walked over there and just started smacking him just a demon sounds and like my she's kids. leaving like uh, she's so rude like whenever fresh is nice and relaxed she has to go bother him um yeah so how besides having covid how was your holiday new year we haven't really talked since no, it was actually before the holiday great. The weather was amazing. Like we basically got our whole vacation in anyway. We left on the day that we were planning to leave to come home. So the COVID thing didn't ruin the vacation, thankfully, like last year. But um, Mm -hmm. no, it was lovely. The weather has been next level amazing, hot, sunny. We've been out on the water all the time. We've been just so lucky. It was amazing. It is nice to be home though now. But um, yeah, we had a great time. How was yours? (laughs) Good. I feel like I treated my body like a dumpster for like a good week of just eating and drinking and being so lazy but now I'm gonna try to be healthier and try to get in better shape for my wedding that's coming up I know it's six months it's um funny because with this COVID I've lost I can't smell and I can't taste so Mm. that has been a good yeah it's been a good self-enforced like a good way to you know have to not 
you know, I'm like, why am I bothering eating? I can't even taste it. Yeah. (laughs) A a good way to stop the junk food of the holiday binge. Yeah. It got to the point where I was like, what am I doing? I've just like eaten like my fridge at one point only had like pies and desserts in it from the holidays. I was like, I literally only have desserts. I got a um, notification from my Apple Watch today, <laughs> which I probably shouldn't admit this. And it's like, yesterday, you didn't close a single ring. And I, for anyone, so you rings, are, you've got to stand up for X amount of time per day, <laughs> exercise yeah. and um, what's the other one? Calories. So I didn't do mm-hmm. anything. <laughs> so I, re- I really, really, really need to get off that. Get well, at least you have the excuse of being sick. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm going to try and go for a swim after this today because I figure that's a good exercise, you know. Yeah. Today I took down all my Christmas decorations and everything. We undecorated the tree and brought the tree outside. And I felt like for the last week, my apartment was because it's small to begin with. And just with all the Christmas decorations and presents and everything, it was just such absolute chaos. But I feel a little better now that with the tree being gone, I could put like the couch back where it's really supposed to go and everything's not in absolute disarray. So feeling a little less stressed about that because I was ready to burn the place to the ground. <laughs> no, it is like, the, I love the Christmas time, but it is nice when you pack everything up and it's all clean and fresh and, you know, not stuff Yeah, everywhere. like putting it away is annoying and cleaning up all the pine needles because I get a real tree is a pain in the ass. But once it's done, you're like, whew, I feel so much better. <laughs> better till next year. Yeah. Um, so today's episode, we're going to be talking about Tamla Horsford, which is a very mysterious case, um, kind of has like Ellen Greenberg vibes of being mysterious and how did she die? Was she murdered? Yeah. Um, so a lot of controversy around that. So I think it's an episode you guys will be interested in and we'll definitely want to know everyone's thoughts after you listen of what you think actually happened to Tamla. And then there was also... A very big Moscow update. They finally arrested someone. So we are going to talk about that as well and all the new information that came out. It should be pretty timely for once because, I mean, I'm probably jinxing myself, but we're recording this (laughs) part only a few days before the episode comes out. So I don't know if anything else major will happen. I don't think so. All I can think is they may release some documents, like probable cause or something, but yeah, I I think he needs... The, so the guy who arrested is named Brian. I think he has he has his hearing Tuesday, Tomorrow. and then he's being moved back to Idaho. And I think they said it could take twenty four to forty eight hours. So if anything comes out, it'll probably be the day this episode comes out. Yeah, as always. When I said we were doing yeah. an update, and I asked people if they had any questions, and someone's like, "Good to see you doing an update," because all this stuff will happen straight after you release the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So. If that's the case, we'll talk about the update. Obviously, on Instagram, we're always posting about it, and we'll talk about it in the next episode. Maybe if we're feeling really spicy, we'll do like a little recording about it, depending what the info is. We'll see. (laughs) Okay, so I guess we'll get into the episode. Yep. In photos released by the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office, Tamala Horsford is smiling alongside several other women on the night of November 3rd at a home in Cumming. Short cell phone videos appear to show everyone having a good time and laughing. And 40-year-old Tamala Horsford is seen talking with another woman at the party. Also in the investigation case file is a timeline with timestamps from a home security system. The log shows at 11.30 on Saturday night, two women left the party. At 1.47 a.m., another woman left, and it is noted she is the last person to see Horsford alive. She is alone and downstairs. 
Then, as daylight saving approached, the home's back door leading to the deck opened, closed, and opened again during the 1 a.m. hour. On Wednesday, the sheriff's office discussed what happened next. There were no witnesses to the fall. The, uh, most of the other uh, partygoers had already gone to bed at that time, and, uh, and she was on the deck alone. The GBI's toxicology report released on Wednesday showed Horsford's blood alcohol level was 0.238 and she also had Xanax and marijuana in her system. The medical examiner and investigators determined Horsford fell from the deck 10 to 15 feet above the ground and died from multiple blunt force injuries and her death was ruled an accident. An attorney for the Horsford family, though, says they are setting up a meeting with the Forsyth County Sheriff to see and review the case. Um, the case we're going to discuss today is the death of Tamla Horsford. We've had a lot of requests over kind of the years for us to do this, and I did another question thing on Instagram the other day, and a lot of people mentioned it. So I thought we would cover it. It is a case that's now a few years older, but I feel like it's a bit like the Ellen Greenberg case in that it always seems to pop up in the media. Um, a lot of people aren't happy with the outcome, I guess the outcome of the legal process in the case. Mm-hmm. So it does seem to still pop up, even though it happened in 2018. Um, and I feel like a lot of people are familiar with it too. There's a lot of information online. Tamla's family family have been very vocal. They have a YouTube with tons of information if you do want to do a deep dive into it. Um, But yeah, it, it, it really does remind me of the Ellen Greenberg case. It feels like there should be answers and there's really not a whole lot. Yeah, it does remind me of that too. Um, I actually didn't really know I'd heard of it before, but I never really read too much about it. But reading about today, very mysterious, can Mm. confirm. So on November 4th, 2018, Tamla was found dead in the backyard of her friend's home in Cumming, Georgia. Tamla was born in the Caribbean in St. Vincent in the Grenadines. She lived there until 1989 when her family moved up to the U.S. to the Bronx. She ended up meeting Leander Horsford in Florida, and they got married. Leander had a daughter from a previous marriage, and they had five sons together. The youngest was only four when Tamla passed away at age 40 in 2018. Tamla's family have said that she liked to laugh, dance, and have fun. Leander said that he was attracted to Tamla because of her warmth. Um, We believe the family moved to Georgia around five years before Tamla died, so maybe around 2013-ish. They moved to Cumming in um, in Forsyth County, which is around 40 miles northeast of Atlanta. So just as some demographic information, 96% of Forsyth County is white, according to 11 Alive. Just for the record, because it does come into play later on in the story, Tamla and her husband are black. It does, it does seem like kind of a weird stat to give, but it will factor into the story as we go on. Yeah. So Tamla seemed to have a large group of friends. She arranged with a bunch of them to have a slumber party on November 3rd, 2018 at the home of Jean. Yeah, Jean. (laughs) At the home of Jean Myers, who is a female, right? Yeah, yeah, she's female, yeah. Okay. Um, Jean had invited some moms who had met through Youth Football League to come over for drinks, and she didn't want anyone to drink and drive, so she invited them all to sleep over. Sounds like a fun time. Um, The party was meant to be all women. There was nine in total, it seems like, but Jean's boyfriend, Jose Barrera, and Tom Smith, who was the husband of one of the other women, ended up staying and hanging out. So these are the people who were at the party. There was Jean Myers, who was the homeowner. Jose Barrera is her boyfriend. There was Nicole Lawson, Marcy Harded, Bridget Fuller, Jennifer Morrell, Sarah Cochran. Paula Seals, Thomas Smith, Stacy Smith, Madeline Lombardi, who is Jean's aunt who also lives at the house. She wasn't really at the party, but she just lives there. 
Yeah. Um, so Tamla arrived at John's home around 8.30 that night. She took a bottle of tequila with her and put on some PJs when she got there. It was a white onesie with paw prints on it. Very cute. Very comfy. There's now kind of like an infamous photo that shows the women on the couch. They're all smiling, having a good time. Um, they watch the LSU-Alabama game and drink together. So just as a note, we've read that Tamla took the tequila as a gift for Jean, but ended up drinking it herself because apparently Jean didn't like tequila. I mean, I feel like we all do that. You bring a bottle of alcohol to the party, but like it's kind of like for yourself a little too. Tamla was the only smoker at the party, and she kept going out onto a balcony to smoke. She also smoked some weed at one point, but Jean asked her to stop because her boyfriend, Jose, was a pretrial officer and didn't approve of that. The men ended up partying with the women. They played Cards Against Humanity together, which is always a good time. One of my favorite games to play. <laughs> Around 11.30 p.m., the guests who weren't planning to stay began to leave. We've read some reports that two women left, so maybe them, one of them changed their minds about staying, I guess. Um, Jean and Jose headed up to bed around 1.30. Tamla stayed up. Another guest named Bridget Fuller decided to head home, and she was picked up by her husband at 1.47 a.m. Seems like a weird time to leave, but mm. okay. <laughs> Bridget... I can understand as someone who grew up didn't like and I didn't like sleepovers and would get scared and have to call my mom. I feel like at the end of the night, sometimes all you want to do is just be in your own bed, go home, be away from I know. everyone. I always want to be in my own bed. So, <laughs> um, But I feel like at 1.47 a.m. I would just like cut my losses at that point. <laughs> Anyways, Bridget said that Tamla was eating gumbo and said that she was going to smoke one more cigarette before going to bed. Jean's house had a security system that registered when the doors opened and closed. So this info about the doors comes from an article by 11 Alive. It says, 1.49 a.m., the back door opens. 1.50 a.m., back door closes. 1.57 a.m., back door opens. So there are some um, like screenshots online, which I'm assuming are from Jean's phone, which show the notifications about the home um, like security thing where the doors open and close. So that is kind of a thing that floats around online. And the house was sold after this. So there are photos online of the house. There's 40 photos if you want to go and check it out um, just to kind of see what it looks like. It looks like a very nice, tidy, well-kept house, two stories on a cul-de-sac. Um, if you go, like it looks lovely. It's very elegant. It's big house. Big house. Like you can even see in one photo the room where the photo of Tamla and the ladies were taken. It's got this kind of wrought iron artwork on the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll pop all those photos on the blog if you want to have a look. But there's photos of the bedroom and, you know, the balconies and all that type of stuff. So you can go and get a better idea of what the house looked like and how this possibly happened, um, yeah, if you want to check it out. Other attendees started leaving as the day went on. Another woman left at 4.10 a.m., another kind of weird time to leave. Maybe she um, had an early shift or oh, something. To, yeah, yeah, to go to work. Yeah. And another left at – I would not be having a sleepover if I had to get up at 4 a.m. to go to work. <laughs> but ugh, whatever. I'll stop adding in my commentary. Um, <laughs> another left at 7.45 a.m., and it seems like another couple left the house around 8.30 a.m., Jean's aunt, Madeline Lombardi, the one that lives at the house with them, around 8.45 a.m., she went into the kitchen to get a coffee, and she said that she looked out the window into the backyard, and she saw a woman laying face down on the grass, not moving. The woman was wearing a paw print white onesie. 
So Madeline went upstairs to find Jean to tell her she apparently used the wording of there being something wrong with Jean's quote friend from the islands. And just I think I, I don't think we put it in either, but just as kind of a note, um, Tamla was the only black woman at the party. Everyone else was white, from what I've read online. Yeah, and based on the photos. Yeah. Jean and Jose called 911 at 8.59 a.m. And they said she's not moving one bit. She's not breathing. She's completely face down in the yard. She is stiff, Jose told the dispatcher. He said she was drinking and it looks like, I'm guessing maybe she fell off the balcony. Jean said that part. I guess they were kind of both talking. Yeah, they both take turns. We can put the whole clip in here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the... 911 call, it's like seven minutes long, but we're going to put in most of it, if not all of it, just because it is interesting to listen to. It kind of gives you a better idea of the situation. If you don't want to listen to the whole thing, feel free to skip ahead, but I recommend listening to it. I feel like it's definitely one of the more interesting 911 calls. It's very clear. They're very coherent. You know, sometimes it's very crackly and staticky and, you know, stuff's redacted, but there's a lot of information in there. I feel like it's interesting to listen to. I usually don't enjoy, not enjoy is the wrong word, I guess, but I usually don't listen to 911 calls, but I did listen to this one. (laughs) Yeah, well, usually they're like shitty quality. You can't understand what's going on, so. No, this one's different. Forsyth County 911. Hi, yes, um, I, I need an ambulance and a place to my home. What's the address? 4450 Woodlake Court. 4450 Woodlake? Woodlet. Woodlet, okay. All right, 4450 Woodlet Court, what is your name? My name is John Myers, J-E-A-N-N-E. Okay, and your phone number is 609? Yes. Okay, what's going on? Um... We had people over last night when we were drinking. Most of us went to bed. One of them stayed on the balcony. She was drinking, and we just went out outside, and she's laying face down in the backyard. It looks like me. I'm guessing maybe she fell off the balcony, but she's stiff. Okay. Is she breathing? I, I don't. I don't know if she's face down. Okay. How, how old is she? At 41. Here, hold on. Hey, this is Jose Barrera. Hey, have y'all checked to see if she's breathing? She's not moving one bit. She's not breathing. Um, okay. I just try to assess her Tesla. She's completely face down in the yard. Um, she is stiff. Okay. Do you know if she, um, um, do you see any blood or anything? Where she... Are you there? I am. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm not, I was outside. It's okay. I'm not sure I happened to lie there for a second. Do you see any blood or anything to where, from where she fell? Um, I, I don't know if I should move her over. I mean, she's completely face down. Okay. I mean, can you just check and see if she's breathing? If, if she's not breathing and you, and you know she's gone, then just leave her where she's at. If she, okay. One minute. Uh, I'm completely not sure. Okay, and that's the only blood that you would see? That's what I can see without moving her over. I haven't okay. seen her face. Um, do you know if she, um, do you know if she was suicidal at all? 
I have no clue. I've met her one other time. Um, you know, like my girlfriend said, people were over last night. <coughs> um, just, we were had, she was, her birthday party, we were not the woman that we believe to be deceased, but my girlfriend's birthday party, instead of having everybody go out, she had everyone stay in. And she was the last one I saw before everybody, I mean, everybody was typically put off to bed. And she was the last one in the kitchen. She was just either waiting around for a ride or waiting until the morning. Okay. How far is the, um, where she would have fell from, how far is the deck from the ground? Um, I would probably say... Maybe 20 feet. Okay. You know, 20 feet from where your feet would be on the railing. The railing itself is maybe three and a half, four feet. Okay. And what is her name? Uh, I know her name. We call her Tam. I'm assuming that's short for Tammy or Tamra. Was she there with anyone else? Uh, your name is Tam Horsford, H-O-R-S-F-O-R-D, so the black female. Um, I don't believe anybody was. Uh, my girlfriend has cameras here on the back deck that we can check. Okay. That I think would have caught the incident if she fell from here. Again, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say if she fell from from the deck or if she was already downstairs. She was the only on motor here and I'm sorry. Okay, I'm so sorry about that. So you think she's possibly right. out um, smoking? Yeah, she was she was the only smoker. I mean I'm I'm on the back deck right now and, you know, cigarette lighter that type of thing are out here. Um okay. I'm just trying to see where on a list mine came from. All right. Um, have, are all the people that were there last night, are they still at your house? Okay. Okay, there are four people that were here last night that are no longer here. Okay. And they just left this morning, or they leave last night? Uh, do you know roughly what time each of them left? Like, two, they completely uh, we, we, we can check. You know, she's got an alarm system that gives alerts when the doors are open on her phone. Okay. But I, would, I think the last time that I personally saw Tam was probably about, one in the morning before I'd gone upstairs to bed. Okay. And and at that point, she was the only one in the kitchen. I know. Okay. Let me see where the, everybody is. I have one um, deputy that's about to pull into your subdivision. So I'll stay on the phone with you just for a minute. Um, is this going to be around back? Is that the way he needs to go? Right. So we, um, when he pulls up to the residence, uh, there will be one 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 car in the street, four in the downtown. 
And does he need to come oh, and go through the house, or does he need to walk around the back? Um, they they can go around to the to the side. I'm gonna grab my shoes and then I'll direct them when they get here. No, it, it it'll be easier for them because she's laying in the yard down, you know, basically on the patio downstairs. Okay. All right, I have one that should be pulling up. Do you see him outside? Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll let you go then. All right, thank you. All right, you're welcome. Bye. So police arrived on scene at 9.07 a.m. and Tamla was pronounced dead on the scene. Her body was sent to the GBI medical examiner for investigation. The Forsyth County Sheriff began to investigate Tamla's death as an accident, and they believed that she had fallen from the second story deck. Which, like, honestly isn't even that high, but... No, it's, yeah. It's high enough that you'd get hurt, but... You probably wouldn't die, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I could be wrong. I haven't fallen off many decks. <laughs> um, this info is from the crime scene report. We'll put the entire thing on the blog. and says, on November 4th, 2018, I responded to 4450 Woodlet Court in reference to a death investigation per the request of Detective Christian. Upon arrival at approximately 1014 hours, I met with Deputy Miller, who informed me that a party was held at the aforementioned address the, the night previous. The decedent was discovered in the backyard of the resident on this morning when the residents awoke and began the cleanup process. Overall photographs of the residents in of the residence exterior were taken. The residence was a multi-level building with attached garage and fenced in backyard. A covered wooden deck was observed off the upper level at the rear of the residence. I made entry to the residence via the front door. My path of travel through the residence to the back upper level deck was photographically documented. The front door opened to a foyer with a hall ahead. To the right at the end of the hall was access to the kitchen and dinette. The door to the exterior upper level deck was observed off the dinette. Overall photographs of the upper level deck were taken. A stairway to the lower level patio was observed at the far end of the deck. The decedent was observed just within the grass line of the yard. The decedent was clad in a white in color one-piece pajama set with gray in color paw prints and black and red socks with multicolored star patterns. The decedent was in the prone position with legs extended straight. The left arm was along the side of the body and bent at an obtuse angle at the elbow, placing the hand away from the body. The right arm was extended down the side of the body. Um, So they go into details about her bag that was found. It was a pink bag. They went through it and they found um, a little purple bag, I guess, that was observed to contain miscellaneous contents, including a clear plastic bag containing green leafy material. They did mention that she was smoking marijuana, so which was collected. Um, there was also a black wallet, a Florida, a black wallet, a Florida driver's license, a bank statement, and one dollar of U.S. currency. In the bar area, they located the bottle of tequila she was drinking and stated. It was stated by the residents that the bottle was brought to the residence by the decedent and that the decedent was the only individual known to have consumed the liquid within. And they said that it was approximately one-eighth full. 
It's a so lot of tequila. Drank a lot like of I'm, it. Ass- I'm assuming it was like a normal size. I know we'd say like 700 or 750 mil bottle. I don't know what you guys call it there, but that's a lot of tequila if it was that yeah. size bottle. Yeah. Um, and that's really all that that says. Tamla's autopsy report is available online. Again, the whole thing is on the blog if you want to read it, but some of the main points are that she suffered blunt force injuries to the head and neck. Basically, it's um, I'll just read some of the main points. It goes into her um, – it says pathological diagnoses. It says blunt force injuries of the head and neck, abrasions of the face, subgaleal hemorrhage, soft tissue hemorrhage, subarachnoid hemorrhage, subdural hemorrhage, fracture of the second cervical vertebra. Then it also says that she had blunt force injuries of the torso and her extremities, including a laceration of the right ventricle of the heart, dislocation of the right wrist, laceration of the right wrist and lower leg, an abrasion of the left arm, left hand, left hand and left leg. Um, it also talks about her toxicology. She was found with THC in her system, alcohol, and her blood alcohol level was 0.238, and alprazolam, which is, and it said that her alprazolam was lower than the lowest calibrate, calibrator of 25 micrograms per liter. Um, and basically that's, it just says that her injuries are consistent with those received in a fall and that their opinion is that the cause of death is multiple blunt force injuries and the manner of death is an accident. So there are some photos of Tamla taken at the home before she was taken for autopsy. A bone can be seen protruding from her wrist, which indicates that she maybe tried to break her fall. But if she did that, then how did she obtain so many injuries to her head? So I'm all a little confusing. The family released the photo of the um, wrist fracture. Like you can see the bone. It's it's graphic. It's not the worst photo I've ever seen, but it is a bone sticking out. And it says their caption for it is, please examine the compound fracture on the un- underside of Tammy's wrists. Um, and it says basically it's quite clear that this is a compound fracture, which I'm assuming they're maybe saying is like a defensive wound possibly and it wouldn't have happened um if she sustained the injuries to the head, like there's a whole bunch of back and forth about how she may have sustained the injury to her wrist. Yeah. Like I feel like realistically, if you fell from a deck and you tried to break your fall with your hands, you could break your wrist like that. But then wouldn't that have broken some of the fall to prevent blunt force trauma to your head? Unless it was like a whiplash type of thing. I don't know. I really, this one confuses me. Yeah, (laughs) Um, There is, it's very, the injuries, I don't know, obviously I'm not a medical examiner, but the injuries don't seem consistent with someone who fell from a second floor balcony. Um, there just seems like there's almost too many injuries for that. I don't know. Again, being <laughs> having like cuts and scrapes is weird because you're not really scraping or like you're just falling. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm being dumb, but. <laughs> so Tamla's sister told investigators that the family was going to have a second autopsy done outside of Georgia because they there had been too many inconsistencies and they felt like it wasn't being done properly with the findings thus far. So the developing theory was that Tamla had gone out for a final cigarette at 1.57 a.m. and had fallen to her death. This is based on the door opening at 1.57 a.m. and never closing, as well as an unlit cigarette and lighter that were found on the balcony. It was suggested that maybe Tamla had leaned over the railing to vomit and had fallen off. There were also allegedly security cameras in the home that should have shown what happened to Tamla, according to Jean and Jose, but the batteries had run out in the cameras and they weren't working at the time, of course. But Jean did provide proof of the lack of batteries to police. She 
forwarded them an email from August 18th, like kind of an auto alert from the security system. Like it says, "Uh oh, Junior, Arlo, whatever is running low on battery. You better replace it." So she sent yeah. that to police. So it's not like she, it stopped working that night. She um she also sent to them like there's in the file there's actually a copy of the email and this is what she wrote to the police. She wrote, "Mike, who I'm assuming is the police. This is the last one I have. I must have deleted the others. I will see if I can somehow recover them. I am not tech savvy. If you'd like to have an IT person or detective research it, the website is arlo.netgear.com. My email for the account is this blocked out and my password is this. Let me know if I can do anything else. So she does seem to give her credit, fairly transparent about that, you know, yeah. I don't know, just just kind of as an interesting note. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's many articles that outline inconsistencies given by Jean and others at the party. 11 Alive did a very comprehensive one, and the article is called, This Case is Just Beginning, Tamla Horsford's Family Releases Full Independent Autopsy Report, released in May 2022. Um, so this info is about the inconsistencies and the botched investigation from the article it says firstly jean gives a strange account about how tamla was found um i guess she said it's the weirdest thing she was face down but her arms were just like her arms were down like she just face planted is the best way i could describe it so it seems like she's describing as her arms are just like flat at her side the gbi officer asked if tamla's arms were down by her side and jean said yeah by her side palms up the scene shows but the scene photos show her left arm is actually off to the side and it's bent and her palm is facing down with her fingers curled under. Um, so this is some information about the investigation. It says, while getting statements, police did ask for photos and videos referenced to the party that night, but they didn't ask to take any of the devices to download data, nor did deputies ever subpoena their phones for records. That didn't happen until the GBI got involved. By that time, records show at least two people had new phones and the detectives learned text messages and pictures on some of the other devices were gone. Um, we'd also read in other articles that there were no like fingernail clippings taken during the autopsy and there was no sexual assault investigation or anything like that ever done. So there are a bunch of different podcasts on this. I have listened to the Generation Y one. Um, In that, they do mention some interviews with Jean where she mentions that Tamla was also apparently doing cocaine. I haven't been able to find those interviews myself or I haven't found the sections of the interviews anyway. But I feel like that is kind of just another inconsistency to note. There was no cocaine found in her system, according to the medical examiner. But that is kind of a story that's out there. It's in the Gen Y podcast if you want to listen. But um, yeah, like there's, there's kind of things like that back and forth where the stories seem to change a little bit and many people have questioned the inconsistencies yeah it just makes you think like she clearly wasn't it wasn't in the toxicology they didn't find any on her so like why would they just say that in regard to like the fingernail clippings and stuff they said that they didn't do that because um they weren't routine steps and there wasn't there wasn't um any indication at the time that this had been foul play so they felt like there wasn't a need to do that I feel like too that could maybe also explain possibly the cocaine thing. Maybe they didn't test for cocaine, but I feel like cocaine is a pretty common drug that surely they would have been a screen for. But anyway, yeah, I don't just, know. just yeah, screen for everything, don't they? Yeah. Or at least common things. Well, the common things. Like I'm sure there's some things that they don't screen for, but the main party drugs you would think would be. Yeah, I feel for. like cocaine would definitely be a common yeah one, especially if you're at a party drinking, whatever. Um, Stacy Smith was an attendee at the party and she spoke to police about her doubts about what apparently had happened to Tamla. 
This info is from Rolling Stone, and it says, while speaking with police roughly two weeks after the death, fellow party attendee Stacy Smith expressed doubt that Tamla could have fallen. She said, I just don't get it at all, Stacy told police. Um, she said, I mean, I've been on that deck like a million times. I've looked, I've tried, and she's referring to testing a theory that um, T- Tamla could have leaned over to maybe throw up or something, but gone too far. And she said, and I don't understand. Officer Sexton sympathized with her confusion, but continued to explore the fall theory and said, I mean, like you said, that she leaned over, she was trying to throw up or thought she was going to throw up. Maybe she sat up on the railing and was smoking or just who knows. Yet Stacy notes that Tamla wasn't acting sick despite her high BAC. This is supported by other interviews as well as videos and photos taken that night. So... It's kind of like what I was saying. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I don't get how this would have happened from falling from a deck. Yeah. And I, I could, like, the vomit theory is probably the one that makes the most sense, even though it still doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> but it makes the most sense that she land over and overbalanced. But I feel like that's very hard to do. Maybe but, she was sitting on the railing having a cigarette. I don't know. But yeah, you'd think if she was leaning over to throw up and she flipped over, wouldn't you more think she'd land on her back? Yeah. And then if she was sitting on the balcony facing inward and she fell backwards, you'd still think she'd land on her back. But if she was sitting on the railing forward, maybe, then she could fall forward like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's very hard to imagine how it could have happened. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So on December 17th, 2018, Jose, who was Jean's boyfriend, was placed on administrative leave. He had legally or, you know, unethically accessed files relating to Tamla's case. He was terminated from his position with the Forsyth County Pretrial Services on December 20, 2018, based on a loss of confidence in the department. Mayor Joe Perkins said it was probably just curiosity, to be honest. He had access to our system and he should not have done what he did. He accessed those reports, which again upset us. It violated our trust with him and we reported it to our supervisors. So in terms of the information that he accessed, um, this information is from the Forsyth News. It says, according to the recently filed Forsyth County Sheriff's Incident Report, deputies took a statement from a local woman that alleged Jose had access to information via his police terminal and provided it to five individuals. So the complainant is a woman named Michelle Wynne Graves, and she has been a very big advocate for Tamla, so she's very involved in the case. But she said that Jose accessed personal information about her home, work, cell phone, home address, work address, and driver's license, as well as information about her height, weight, and extended family. Jose denied the allegations, though, and said he had no reason to access the data by illegal means, which what he's alleged to have accessed is publicly available in court and via sheriff's sheriff's office documents or online via personal information databases. He said that within a few clicks, everyone's personal information is available online and is accessible to the public, and to believe otherwise is ignoring the facts of the case. He said, for her to believe that her information was leaked by me is grossly incorrect, and I will believe that until the day I die, anyone can be found. Just as kind of a background into Jose's career, he was listed as a probation officer in Hall County from March to November in 2017. And previously he worked as an officer with the Cumming Field Office of the Department of Community Supervision, but he was terminated from that in October 2016. He has said that the termination was due to an inter-office disagreement over a relationship with a co-worker. So that's just kind of a bit of background into him and his, I guess, 
um, position at the time of Tamla's death. Mm-hmm. So rumours did start to swirl online. As we mentioned, Tamla was the only black person at the party and people started to move towards this possibly being a racially motivated killing. Jean hired a lawyer and they released a statement. It said, at this time, our client, as well as each person who was present on November 4th, 2018, has completely cooperated with law enforcement officers in attempting to give the friends and family answers with regards to the death of Tamla Horsfeb. Every aspect of our client's life has been investigated. She has provided answers to every question asked by the Forsyth County Sheriff. Although the investigation has not been closed, to the best of our knowledge, Miss Horsford's death certificate has been issued by the Forsyth County Coroner. At this time, each of the partygoers and their families have received death threats on various social media postings. These threats need to stop. The tragic accident is exactly that, an accident. It is unfortunate, sad, and unbelievably heartbreaking to her family and friends. However, certain very vocal friends and family members have described this accident as murder. Nothing can be further from the truth. We are asking for the community and media to please respect the privacy and safety of our clients and others who are at the party. So as we mentioned, there's a really comprehensive Rolling Stone article on this case. They do go into a lot of detail about race possibly being a factor in this. Um, The article is actually titled The Unanswered Questions of Tamla Horsford's Death. And then the kind of bio says, a black mother of five died at an all-white party in Georgia. It might have been a complete accident, but because of a compromised investigation, we may never know. And I feel like that is a very interesting summary of the case um, because that is essentially, you know, we we don't know what happened still. Spoiler, we don't know what happened, but um, it could, you know, we will never know because of the investigation. Yeah. This information is from that Rolling Stone article and it outlines the it outlines kind of incidents of racism by members of the Forsyth County Sheriff and it also outlines possible conflicts of interest between LA LA sorry that's my shorthand notes between law enforcement and attendees at the party. So it says, a quintessential small southern town. Everyone knows everyone incoming and people seem to take care of their own. Take, for example, Sheriff Ron Freeman and the current FCSO Deputy Coroner Chris Shelton. In 2014, Coroner Shelton was forced to resign from a nearby police force after distributing photos of himself posing with racist dolls. Just two years later, he appeared in Facebook photos for Ron Freeman's 2016 campaign for sheriff. After Freeman won, Shelton was then appointed as the deputy coroner. So Shelton works for Operation 21, a business which is owned by law enforcement and military veteran Brian Dubloy that aims to educate offenders on the law to help reduce reoffending. According to campaign registration information, Brian's wife, Anna, also served as treasurer on Freeman's 2016 campaign. According to the social media posts, the Dubloys are also friends with some of the individuals who are at the party, including Stacey and Tom Smith, Photos show the Smiths and the Dubois boating out for dinner and celebrating birthdays, which what Anna refers to as their friend family. Advocates for reopening the case have questioned whether these relationships may have contributed to the sheriff's office handling of the investigation. So it does seem like all of these people are kind of intertwined. They all know each other, um, which is what the insinuation is, is that the investigation was botched because of this Friendships. these relationships. Yeah. Um, so in February 2019, some of the people who were at the party launched a lawsuit against Michelle Graves. She was the advocate that we mentioned earlier. Um, seven of the individuals there that night, including Jean and Jose, sued Michelle for defamation. They said that this was due to Facebook posts, which accused them of being responsible for Tamla's death. 
the lawsuit was dismissed, but they have appealed and that they did, Jean and Jose dropped themselves, I guess, from the suit. Legal representation for the remaining five declined to be interviewed and they did not respond to Rolling Stone who had a list of questions about the case. So that's kind of just an interesting ongoing, um, I guess, saga in relation to this case. So in February 2019, the Forsyth County Sheriff closed Tamla's case and ruled that her death was accidental. They said they'd spent over 300 hours of manpower and had conducted 30 interviews with party guests and others who had a connection to the party. Mayor Joe Perkins said that the state of Georgia has ruled the death accidental and consistent with an accidental fall. None of the injury patterns noted were consistent with foul play. It was a party they were drinking, she was drinking. Most of the party goers had gone to bed at that time and she was on the deck alone. So a lot of people weren't happy with that. In June 2020, the Forsyth County Sheriff Ron Freeman sent a letter to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation requesting that they open reopen Tamler's case. It says, renewed requests for re-examination are best served by an independent law enforcement agency to review previous findings and to search and act on any new evidence which may come to light. He said that he would give all his files over to the GBI and that they would fully cooperate with them. He wrote, your agents will have complete access to my office and deputies as well as my full cooperation. At the time, over 586,000 people signed a petition on change.org asking for Tamla's case to be reopened. And Tamla's family did get an attorney, Ralph E. Fernandez, and he said at the time that there was a strong possibility that Tamla's death was a homicide after his office had reviewed the case. He said that they found conflicting witness statements, a tampered crime scene, mishandled evidence, and unheard of absence of autopsy photos, while Tamla's injuries were consistent with there being a physical struggle. He said, it appears Tamla was involved in a struggle. There were abrasions consistent with that scenario. There were parallel scratches to one arm. Since they were fresh, photos would not have proven recent use of defensive force. There was one x-ray, yet the injury noted as the cause of death never appears anywhere. And he said the truth never had a chance here. So at the time too, there were celebrities like T.I. and 50 Cent. They also made social media posts asking that the case be reopened. And the GBI did did agree to reinvestigate the case. Um, so as the, Ralph Fernandez, the attorney said that they hadn't had access to Tamla's autopsy photos, there were some rumors online saying that there were actually no photos ever taken. However, the GBI have said that they are, and that they will release those photos once they have the correct kind of authorities and approvals to release them. I haven't seen anything to say that they have been released. They definitely aren't online. I'm assuming Tamla's family probably have those photos, hopefully now, but it was there was kind of back and forth about if the photos did exist in the GBI are adamant that they do. In March 2021, Tamla's husband, Leander, spoke to the media. He said Tamla would never have shown up to a party with people that she didn't know very well and gotten so drunk that she would have fallen. He said, I'm not saying it wasn't an accident, but I'm saying it was a cover-up. I'm saying they made it look like something else. He said, I can definitely say she was one of the classiest women that I've ever met in my life. She had a heart of gold. She goes, I've never met anyone that you know like that in my entire life. He also said, it's physically impossible for a body to land like that from falling off the deck. Because of all the marks she had on her, you don't get that from falling into the grass. You don't get linear scratches on your arm for falling into the grass. You don't get gashes in your shins from falling on the grass. And you don't get contusions on your head. So the GBI did reopen the case and investigated it for around a year. In July 2021, they closed the case. Nellie Miles, who's a spokeswoman for the GBI, said, the DEA review 
sorry, the DA review determined the facts and investigative findings do not support pursuit and prosecution of criminal charges. That is kind of it in terms of the legal process for Tamla's case. I know a lot of people still aren't happy with that. I did a poll on our Instagram and asked how people believe that she died. 73% of people believe she was murdered. 24% believed that she fell accidentally. And then another 3% um, said they believe this could have been a suicide, which is interesting because I know there hasn't really been any suggestion of it being a suicide. It would have been a risky suicide because you will probably – not 100% likely to die from, you know, the fall. Mm-hmm. So I feel like probably the main options obviously are murder and accidental fall. Yeah, or like accidental death that then they tried to cover up for some reason. I don't even know what I think happened because I do agree that I feel like like you wouldn't fall like that in the position that she was in if you were leaning over. I don't think you'd fall like that. The only way you would fall like that, like I said, was if you were maybe sitting on the railing facing outward. But I also feel like it's not high enough that you would die. So we did ask on Instagram for people to give us their opinions on the case. Um, I'll just read out a few. Um, Someone said, so sad. My friend from childhood is one of her best friends. I definitely think it was suspicious. Someone said, murder. The women still mock what they did to her this day. They mock her death on their Facebooks. Someone else said, which I actually think is probably an interesting theory, is that they egged Tamla on to drink more and more and more and she passed away somehow either from her falling down the stairs. Like in the photo Mm. with the women in the basement, there are stairs. Um, Like that could explain possibly more so the injuries, I feel like, than falling straight off a deck. Just, you know, this is just all speculation, obviously. Um, What else? Someone said they planned it and killed her. Um, I know that there's been kind of a few insinuations and speculations that maybe Tamla got into an argument with Jose about the smoking weed and Mm -hmm. that something happened as a result of that argument. And there's a few people who, like someone said, they had some kind of altercation and she was murdered. Like that, that kind of goes along those lines. Yeah. I don't know what I think happened, but definitely I don't think that she just fell and died. No, I... Yeah, I, I yeah, I also feel like I'm saying this a lot lately. Usually I have a pretty good idea. I don't really it seems like there was more than a fall that that caused her death. One other reason I mentioned too that Tamla's case has kind of been in the media again lately is due to the murder of Shanquella Robinson. We are planning an episode for Shanquella in coming weeks. Just as kind of a quick rundown on that one, Shanquella went on a vacation with her friends, quote friends, to Mexico in October 2022 and there's actual footage of Shanquella being beaten by these friends. Um, There's an article online which I'll pop on the blog too and we'll probably discuss that later when we do Shanquella's episode. But just to be clear, we we are doing an episode on her. People keep messaging us, being like, what about Shanquella? What about Shanquella? Like, you're only talking about the Idaho murders. We are going to do an episode on Shanquella, but there's just not a ton of information yet. So, like, you started the notes. We have everything up to date, but we're just kind of still in the middle of what's happening. Yeah. So this article is titled Shanquella Robinson's Death Spotlights Other Black Women Mysteriously Dying Around Their Friends. It says in what could be an ominous sign, neither the death of Tamla Horsford nor Kanika Jenkins was ever solved. No criminal charges were brought and no one was ever held accountable. So if you're seeing some things in the media about Tamla pop up, because there really hasn't been any news or real updates since it was kind of closed again, that's probably why. Yeah. I do think the theory is interesting that 
you know, they were like kind of egging her on to like drink more and stuff like that. I could see something like that happening. Yeah. And I could definitely, like, I personally feel like a fall downstairs would probably maybe explain um, more the injuries that she had as opposed to a fall onto grass from a second floor balcony. Like, you know, if you fall downstairs, you're probably going to tumble down the stairs and sustain yeah, more like injuries. Yeah, get scratches. Yeah. Um, so but if you just fall <laughs> onto grass. So obviously it's just speculation. Like we don't know what happened. We will likely never know, unfortunately, now. But I feel like that could be an explanation for the extra kind of injuries, the unexpected injuries. The only way I could see her getting scratches on her arm from falling off the deck is if she like fell and then tried to re-grab onto the deck and like scratched her arm on it. Yeah. But then wouldn't that have also slowed down her fall and not killed her, you'd think? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. know. There's so, a lot many, of, so many questions. Yeah, so – Hopefully one day we'll get answers. Um, I'd love to know what – well, I guess we kind of already asked what people think. But if you haven't heard the story before, I'd love to know what you think about it, what your theories are. So send us a message. Yeah, we can share them, definitely. Okay, so we'll get into the Moscow update now. We got very big news on Friday, December 30th. I was sitting at work, minding my own business, not expecting this at all. thought it was just going to be an easy day. Well, luckily – for me, since it was like the day before New Year's Eve and everything before everyone's off, my job wasn't busy, thank God. So I could be on my phone and post <laughs> a lot. But I definitely did not wake up that day thinking that they were going to arrest anyone. So yeah, Very out of the blue and a bit like Delphi. Um, yeah, very out of the blue. Yeah. Well, I saw in the morning Brian Enton tweeted that there was going to be a press conference at one. So then I started being like, hmm wonder what that could mean because there was no details about like what it was about really so i thought it may be a little but then honestly like a half hour after that it started kind of leaking to the news that someone was arrested so we'll go through a quick summary i feel like most people who are following the case you probably heard already but we'll go through a summary this info is from cnn about the arrest so on friday december 30th 2022 brian christopher koberger He's 28 years old, was arrested in his home in the state of Pennsylvania, and he was charged with four counts of murder in the first degree, as well as felony burglary in connection with the stabbing deaths in Moscow, Moscow, Idaho. And investigators honed in on Brian as a suspect through DNA evidence and by confirming his ownership of a white Hyundai Elantra seen near the crime scene, according to two law enforcement sources briefed on the investigation. Brian lived just minutes away from the scene of the killings. He... He is a PhD student in Washington University in Washington State University's Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology. So that's interesting. He was getting mm. his doctorate in criminology. From there, he drove cross country in the white Hyundai Elantra and arrived at his parents' house in Pennsylvania around Christmas. Um, authorities began tracking him at some point during his trip from Idaho to Pennsylvania. So they kind of were already keeping an eye on him at that point. Yeah, it um, seems like they they had an idea about him for a long time, you know, at least Yeah, I think I saw I something that said like mid-December they started yeah. kind of yeah. tracking him. Oh, yeah, so a source told CNN sometime right before Christmas we were zoning in on him being in or going to Pennsylvania. So they were keeping tabs on him already at that point. An FBI surveillance team tracked him for four days before his arrest while law enforcement worked with prosecutors to develop enough probable cause to obtain a warrant. So genetic genealogy techniques were used to connect Brian to unidentified DNA evidence at the crime scene. The DNA was run through a public database to find potential family member matches and subsequent investigative work by law enforcement led to him as the suspect. 
So he was arraigned in Pennsylvania and is being held without bail. He, luckily for us, intends to waive his extradition at a hearing to expedite his transport to Idaho, which is good for us because there was a press conference and they explained that the probable cause and everything has to stay sealed until Brian is back in Idaho and is seen in front of a judge there, then they can unseal the probable cause. So there's still not a lot of information as to what they know, why he did it, how they found him. We just know that he was arrested at this point. The public defender representing him is Jason Labar. And he said, Mr. Koberger is eager to be exonerated of these charges and looks forward to resolving these matters as promptly as possible. Um, He also told CNN that Brian arrived in Pennsylvania around December 17th to celebrate the holidays with his family. Um, He said his father actually went out to Idaho and they drove home together and that Brian is shocked a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Such a weird phrase, shocked a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He said, we don't really know much about the case. I don't have any affidavit or probable cause. I didn't want to discuss the case with him because I'm merely his representation for his procedural issue as to whether or not he wants to be extradited back to Idaho. So I guess this won't, he won't be representing him for the actual case if it's just for the extradition hearing. Mm, I'm not sure to be honest, but. So we looked up what felony burglary is defined as in Idaho and it says, Every person who enters any house, room, apartment, etc., you know, store, shop, warehouse, whatever, with intent to commit any theft or any felony is guilty of burglary. That was interesting to me because burglary to me always kind of implied the stealing of yeah. goods, I guess. I guess if but you in- break into murder, yeah, yeah, yeah. it still yeah. counts. So I just thought that was interesting as, a char- as some of the charges that he's facing. Yeah. Yeah, I never really knew that either. Ooh. So – Brian's family released a statement through their attorney, and they said, first and foremost, we care deeply for the four families who have lost their precious children. There are no words that can adequately express the sadness we feel, and we pray each day for them. We will continue to let the legal process unfold, and as a family, we will love and support our son and brother. We have fully cooperated with law enforcement agencies in an attempt to seek the truth and promote his presumption of innocence rather than judge unknown facts and make erroneous assumptions. We are respect privacy in this matter as our family and the family suffering loss can move forward through the legal process. All right. So that is kind of it in terms of the facts of, you know, what we know, what's being confirmed. Um, There's been lots and lots and lots of online chatter about his arrest and about possible things relating to it. We did ask some questions on our Instagram, you know, or asked people if they had any questions. One thing that has come up a lot is, as Stephanie mentioned, Brian was studying criminology. There was an online survey that's now been taken down that Brian posted, I believe, like early last year was when he posted it. And it was basically- It was like 212 days ago when he was yeah. arrested, I remember. <laughs> um, I'm just going down to what it says. So he asked in the survey for criminals to respond about their feelings about their crimes. I'll just, like, he actually posted on Reddit. He has- um, I think I believe his username was criminology student. Criminology student. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he wrote, "Hello, my name is Brian. I'm inviting you to participate in a research research project that seeks to understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision making when committing a crime. 
In particular, this study seeks to understand the story behind your most recent criminal offence with an emphasis on your thoughts and feelings throughout your experience. In the event that your most recent offence was not one that led to a conviction, you can still participate. So then it goes in and, you know, talks about kind of the terms and conditions, you know, must be 18 years old and all this. Anyway, so um, I'll just run through some of the questions he asked. One of them was, after committing the crime, what were you thinking and feeling? Another one was, after arriving, what steps did you take prior to locating the victim or target? Please detail your thoughts and feelings. Another one was, how was your life right before the crime occurred? Did you prepare for the crime before leaving home? Please detail what you were thinking and feeling at this point. How did you travel to and enter the location that the crime occurred? And then there's also kind of some multiple choice questions where he asks about people's feelings it says things like I can tell when others are sad even when they do not say anything and then you can pick never rarely sometimes often or always another one I do not feel sympathy for people who cause their own serious illnesses never rarely sometimes often always so that's kind of just an interesting thing that came out following his arrest Um, and it's led a lot of people to speculate that maybe he had been planning this for a very long time maybe not to murder the specific people that he did, but he was kind of working towards murdering people. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we don't know, but that just kind of shows if that's true. Like he's been planning this for a while, but how insane is that? Like you went and got your doctorate in criminology to throw it all away <laughs> to commit a murder. And a lot of people would be like, "Wow, he he studied criminology. He studied." you know, basically how to get away with the crime and he still left his DNA there. <laughs> yeah, and so, I remember early on they were saying, like either the coroner or the police or whoever, they were saying how sloppy the crime scene was and how like messy yeah. it was and that the killer definitely like left evidence behind. Yeah. So um, Brian, kind of leading on from what you just said, Brian did seem to have a fairly large online presence. He was definitely on Reddit. There are a bunch of rumors that he actually participated in forums and he, there's a TikTok account that people are speculating belongs to him um, in terms of participating in discussion about the murders after he allegedly committed them. Um, and a Facebook profile that people are – who knows if Papa, it's true, but there's like yeah, a Facebook we don't know. profile. I yeah. believe that one is under the name Papa Roger and it was in a group. Yeah. Um, but the one that's kind of interesting is a 4chan one, which I know is absolutely not a reputable source. <laughs> but it's interesting because it was posted, I believe, around December 12. And I'm just paraphrasing what it said and I won't say it all because it's very graphic. But basically it goes along the lines of, I, you know, who the murderer is, they're hiding out in the mountains in Pennsylvania, which in the end ended up to be true to some extent. And then it kind of went into detail about how the person had committed the crime very, very graphically. Um, you know, I won't say it. It's specifically quite... talked about how they like brutalized Kaylee, Kaylee. specifically, yeah. like really gross and graphic. So like there's those kind of things going on a line. I don't know if we'll ever know if they were Brian, you know, if it ends up being Brian as the killer, but it's just interesting that this case did bring out a lot of that in people or, you know, maybe just Brian if it was him. Yeah, normally I wouldn't really think much of the comments and stuff like that, but that one, the fact that it said the mountains of Pennsylvania before Ugh. he was arrested in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania is kind of weird. 
So yeah, a lot of people have been sending the social media posts to us. We haven't really shared them because we don't know that they are from Brian, but I know there's a lot of discussion out there and it is interesting. Yeah. So we're definitely aware of that stuff, but we like to be careful with what we post. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Lots of questions we had asked about his connection, if there was any connection to the victims or if this was totally random, not confirmed either way at this stage. I think when he was arrested, Kaylee's family came out pretty quickly and said that there was a connection between Brian Mm -hmm. and Kaylee. But then today they've made another tweet, another statement saying they are looking for a connection. So... I don't know. But they definitely did at one point say there was a connection. Yeah. They and that was very like this within hours of him being arrested, I believe that happened. Yeah. Um so yeah, we don't know, not confirmed. I know there's tons of speculation online about it being probably related to Kaylee. Maybe we'll find out in the probable cause documents when they're released, but we don't know at this stage. Mhm. Um, And the other thing that apparently when Brian was arrested, he asked police if anyone else had been arrested, which led them, you know, to lots, like led to online discussion about there maybe being someone else involved in the murders. And we've had lots of questions about did he act alone? I believe police have have said they believe he acted alone and that there isn't anyone else involved. Mm that's all we really know along those lines um personally i think he's just a smug asshole like i think he if you look at him if you haven't seen pictures of him yet i'll maybe i'll put a picture of him as in the episode photo so you guys can see if you haven't already but his face been everywhere so i'm assuming most people have seen but he just gives total smug american psycho vibes just going off his picture which i guess don't judge a book by his cover but something about Everything I've heard so far makes me think he really thinks he's very, very smart because he has a doctorate in criminology and that he was trying to like throw police off. Yeah. And there's been like a bunch of things I've read too that apparently he lost a lot of weight and he seemed to really change after he did that. I don't, you know, obviously we don't know. This is just people coming out of the woodwork now and saying these things about Brian. But yeah, it'll be interesting to find out. He, I, I think he acted alone too. I think. He probably planned this. My current theory is he was maybe rejected by one of the girls or somehow became infatuated with one of the girls and it all kind of stemmed from there. Yeah, I agree. Either that or like he just knew that he wanted to commit a murder, maybe met Kaylee in passing and thought she's a cute blonde girl and I feel like there's definitely like hating female vibes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. picked her from that. I don't know how well they could have known each other yet. It seems so rageful. Like I agree that they're like uh, when I asked people for their comments and questions, a lot of people said, you know, incel vibes and things like that, that basically he just hated mm-hmm. women. And then, and I also, someone also said that they believe that the women were the targets and Ethan, like, it, you know, it was just collateral damage, which I also think was probably maybe likely the case. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, there was another question that we had a few times about what we think will be in the probable cause or affidavit. I really, really have no idea. We've we've just speculated a little bit about what we maybe think happened, but it sounds like they basically got him from the DNA and kind of they will work yeah. backwards from that to determine what happened. Yeah, from there, uh, now that they have him connected at least, I feel like they'll be able to go back via like his phone, his car, see where he was, what he was doing, and kind of pinpoint his timeline that night. Yeah. Um, I mean, he lived close by. I know it says like he went to WSU, but we looked it up and it's only 15 minutes away from 
where the murders happened in Idaho. It's like right on the border there. Yeah, he was so very it's not close. Like he was too far away. Another thing that I thought of that I wanted to say, I my my sister even texted me about this. And after the arrest, people are still I know we've talked about this in past episodes when we talked about updates about how crazy people are with their theories and doxing (laughs) everyone but there's still people on tiktok and stuff that are just talking about how they still think the surviving roommates are involved and how they just like feel a vibe about it that the surviving roommates are involved or the ex-boyfriends or whatever like they just they just feel it and i just think that's so I feel like even since we last recorded about Moscow, there's been that lawsuit where a professor at one of mm-hmm. the universities is suing a TikToker who keeps – like this is a female professor and this TikToker is alleging that this female professor killed them or was involved or whatever. So this is actually going to court now. Um, but, yeah, it's crazy that now they likely have a suspect that they can tie with DNA and people are still carrying on. And they've said that they, they're sure he acted alone. Yeah, yeah. And people are still just like, well, I have a feeling. And it's – I guess there's like a lot you could say about people exploiting murders and true crime for money and views and stuff. Like I know people even say that about us even though I feel like we're pretty tasteful and mostly just say the facts and are just kind of telling the stories of what happened. But then there's people out there on TikTok who just say crazy things like this just for the views like sure we could say crazy things and be like i know it was this person and people would probably we'd get way more views because people would be like oh my god like look at what they're saying like they think it's this person but like i don't know i just think that's a horrible thing to do to people like they already went through such a trauma of living in this house while all of their friends were murdered and now they still have people like accusing them of the crime and even yeah i feel like this case is a, a, a perfect example of how things can get online and out of hand online in regards to rumors and speculation and gossip and all that type of stuff yeah it seems like we said it in the last episode that everyone knows all the different jakes jacks whatever <laughs> their similar names are an apology adams whoever they were <laughs> uh, food truck guy whoever he was yeah. i think he was also a jake or jack maybe yeah so I think that's about it for what we know for Moscow now. Um, it's not really a lot, but hopefully we will learn more this coming week. Yeah, so if more info comes out, like right when this episode comes out, we will be posting about it on Instagram. We'll talk about it. Um, in the, we'll keep talking about what's going on as we record episodes as well since this is such a big case for everyone. Um, but, yeah, I guess that is really it for now, like you said. I can't think of anything else that I want to rant about. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, ranting. <laughs> Starting fresh for the new year. <sighs> yeah, but I'm always down to rant. So that's it for this episode. Everything about Tamil will be on the blog. Um, we're always posting on Instagram with Moscow. I always say Moscow, even. No, <laughs> Moscow, not Moscow. <laughs> Everything with Moscow will be online as well. We'll keep posting the updates as they come out. So make sure to follow us on Instagram. Our username is True Crime Society. The blog is True Crime Society blog.com. Um, I haven't done this for so long. I never remember what to say. <laughs> Facebook, True Crime Society. <laughs> Facebook, True Crime Society, everything. Twitter, um, share the podcast, rate the podcast, only if it's a good one, a good review. Love that. <laughs> share it with your friends and family. Um, I think that's it. 
I mean, you guys know what to do. You've heard this enough. (laughs) Stay safe out there. I hope the new year is great for everyone and safe and happy. Thanks for listening. Peace out. See you next time.